0: The reading comes from Matthew chapter 27 verses 57 to 66. As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and took Uh, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. The next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. This is the word of the Lord.
1: This is sometimes called Holy Saturday, a time when Jesus uh, was in the tomb, all was quiet, nothing was happening. So you could easily think it's it's all over. Good Friday was tumultuous, wasn't it? The crucifixion scene uh, was gross. Don't be fooled by the 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 rather sort of glossy paintings that you sometimes see of crucifixion. It was horrible. The pain was awesome. The breathlessness that you experienced as a victim was horrendous. You couldn't do that. That's what crucifixion was like. There was darkness that descended in the daylight. There was earthquake. There was the dramatic ripping of that temple curtain from top to bottom by God saying, now the way is open. Now you can speak the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent his son Jesus to die for you, you can speak to that person by means of faith. It's hard to grasp, isn't it, how the disciples must have felt on Good Friday evening. They'd watched their Lord and Master die a cruel Roman death, although he died much quicker than many people did on crosses. The vibrant teacher, the living healer, the one they loved so dearly, is now a limp body on a cross. It's over, it's finished. Let's go home. I wonder how many of them remembered the hours of teaching when Jesus had plainly told them over and over again, the Son of Man will be arrested, tried, sentenced to death, and rise again. I wonder how many of them said, oh yeah, it's okay, tomorrow will be fine. That's not the feeling you get from this. When all you see in the evening light is a body, you probably forget the rise again bit, because it's just not there. And it would be easy to say at this point that Jesus had spoken the words God had needed him to say. Now God is silent. It has an ironic twist to it, actually, because for 400 years, the voice of God, many said, had been not there since the days of Malachi at the end of the Old Testament. And the crowds had flocked to Jesus because they recognized the authentic voice of God. That's why they went to him. And now he's gone. He's been silenced by a combination of Jewish duplicity and Roman brutality. And when you come to your group study material this week, you'll hear the testimony of a lady who experienced, just as we heard from Lindsay and Dave just then, the loneliness of silence. Most of us, I guess, at some point in our life, have experienced that. Our prayers go unanswered. God's got a gag on. Where's he gone? But in the context of this story, it was preparation day. Luke tells us that the Sabbath would start at sundown. and The Jewish custom was that bodies should be taken down before sundown, and certainly before the Sabbath. And Joseph of Arimathea comes to claim the body. He was a senior figure in Jewish leadership, part of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. It's interesting too that Jesus' message of the Gospel had reached Joseph and Nicodemus, another disciple of Jesus, the one who came secretly, remember, in John 3. Both members of the Sanhedrin, and they were prepared to go public about their following of Jesus. They turned up to claim the body. Joseph did all the right things, washed, wrapped it in cloth. Mary and Mary Magdalene sat opposite the tomb as if they wanted to be sure that he really, really was dead. Are we sure? Luke tells us that the women went home to prepare spices to anoint the body, but they rested on the Sabbath. This was a new tomb which Joseph had paid for, It confirms that he was from the upper echelon society. Only such people had tombs like that. And yet, if you go back into the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, 9, you read, he was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. It's there. 700 years before Jesus, Isaiah wrote it. But the text gives you the feeling, this this passage that uh, Nate's just read to us, just... That's it. it. It's over. We had a dream and now it's gone. What was this kingdom of God stuff all about? It, it's, it's finished. And is it, this is imagination. It's not in the text, but I, I imagine this on this day. We have Jesus um, and the disciples saying, hey, do you, do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember when he stilled that storm on Galilee? And we were all, it was blowing everywhere and so <laughs> quiet. And do you remember that day when we, we went round a field and we collected up enough baskets of food, 12 of them, to, to feed another lot? And he fed 5,000. Do you remember that? And what about when he walked on water? Wish I could do that. It'd be kind of handy, wouldn't it? Wow. And in the midst of the silence on that day, all they had was memory. It was great when he was around. But now where do we go? Is it back to fishing? For the four that were called first by Jesus? Maybe Matthew thought, I'll go back to tax collecting and this time I'll do it straight. How did he, how did he think? What, what were they thinking? What, were they, what was going through their heads? I guess most of us have been there. We've prayed for some outcome, maybe for years. We've really tried, we've prayed, and God appears to be silent. You cannot see how the event that you've prayed for can possibly happen. They had been told by Jesus that resurrection would follow. On the third day, I will rise again. But if you have something on your mind, maybe a health outcome, a desire to see a loved one come to faith, the restoring of relationship, and you've come to a point where it just doesn't look likely. and down you go, you just can't see how it will happen and when you're down, so often you get even more to discourage you, look what happened to the disciples look at verse 62, the day after the day of preparation in other words the Sabbaths, when no work should be done the enemies of Jesus were hard at it determined, determined to finally squash any chance of a popular surge of interest in Jesus And here's a surprise, because another one. The chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. They described him as a deceiver. And they know that Jesus spoke about resurrection. Oh, did did you not hear that when he was here, he used to speak about the fact that he'd rise again? Well, if they knew, why aren't the disciples sort of sat on the edge of their chair waiting for tomorrow morning? But now... There are two Roman heavies on duty. No chance of resurrection with those two guys there. Not a chance. To the drama of Good Friday, silence. Everything has a fin, in that chapter, the end of chapter 27, everything has a, a sort of finished feel about it. That six foot high stone rolled in its groove down and locked and then sealed, guarded by men of the legions. And it feels as if the powers of men have overcome the power of God. Have you ever been there? Have you ever thought, God can't deal with that, surely? Now, unanswered prayer is painful And how can we counter it? How can we deal with it? And and I don't intend to give you packed Christian answers, I hope and pray, to the agony of unanswered prayer. But there does seem to be some things in Scripture that help us see how we deal with it, in order to understand that God is indeed not silent. The first one is this, remember the words of Jesus. If only the disciples had remembered his promises, I will rise again. You only have to wait a day. But they have forgotten, just like we do. In times of blackness and unanswered prayer, we think, where are the words of God? And perhaps he might whisper to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am right there. Whatever rubbish you're going through, whatever pain you're going through, whatever agony you're going through, there is never a moment when that God is not beside you by His Spirit. Because He promised that He would be and He is. So deal with truth and not feeling, maybe, in that case. The truth is there that God is real. Secondly, keep doing the things you do. Read your Bible. Trust that he will be with you. Keep praying what appears not to be getting an answer. Jesus said men ought always to pray and not give up. I don't remember the exact details of this, but I had a friend uh, whose son uh, had not trusted Jesus. He would prayed and prayed and prayed for this. Uh, And he gets a call from, I think it was Alice Springs, but I'm not sure. Heather and I talked about this yesterday, and I, I think it was. Dad, I've trusted the Lord. He'd forgotten that time zones in Australia are different, so his poor father was woken up in the middle of the night to be told that his son had become a believer. Keep doing the things you do. God is there. God wants to speak through his word, through perhaps, as we heard with, with David Lindsay, the, the friends that you have around you. He, he wants you to be supported and loved and, and to know that through this unanswered prayer season, you have God and you have your friends. Thirdly, remember the cross and what it achieved. Sin was taken off your shoulders because it was put on Jesus' shoulders. Jesus died for you because he loves you. And he took away your sin at that moment when he died on the cross. That's why that temple curtain was ripped. You can now get to me. And you can go as we heard, you know, uh, you can go and talk when you take your dog for a walk. That's okay. But talk to God, He will hear. So, remember what the cross achieved. You are a saved sinner if you have trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. You are what you are a child of God. You are precious to Him. He loves you, He values you. He has plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Jeremiah 29. Fourthly, look forward. That's why the second coming of Jesus was more keenly longed for in the first century than often it is today. Gladiators who died in the arena would remind themselves that the Lord is returning. There is an end. History is not circular. John Stott said this. History is not circular. It's linear. It started at creation. It will finish when the Lord returns. And I will be with him in the air. Uh, Heaven, if you'd rather but that'll do. I know where I'm going. And I trust in the person who's going to get me there. That's why he said, I am the way, and it's true, and it will give you life. That's why he said those words in John's Gospel. I am the way, the truth, and the life that you will have with me forever. Now that doesn't mean that you may have to go through Hours, and I hope I'm not lightening this, hours of agony and pain of unanswered prayer when God appears to have gone missing. I'm not minimizing that, but I am telling you that the Bible tells us that there is an end. History is linear. And one day the Lord's going to return. And fifthly, and this is the hardest one to say to you, don't, it connects to the one before, but don't be too immersed in the present. You will lose your future hope. Now, it may be that you're not there yet and you need help, and do please take it and seek it. It may be that God will graciously restore you. He may answer your prayers sometime in the future and give you the desires of your heart. It, it may be that you have to go on waiting. I can't promise you that if you go home today and you pray, that God will answer that prayer just like that today. That's not the way it is. When that happens, make sure you ask the right question. Don't ask the question that says, God, what are you playing at? Ask the question, God, what are you teaching me? What is God saying at this time of apparent silence? God?" What are you saying to me? Let me find your message in this somewhere. And maybe God is trying to say something to you at this moment. And he wants you to hear it. That was the problem of Saturday. All the disciples could see was a dead Jesus, a body and a tomb, a seal on it, two beefy Roman guards, And the end of the most exciting three years those guys had ever had. Now it was all in ruins. Until we get to the first verse of Matthew 28. And I mustn't go there because I'm not allowed to, I don't think, today. But it does say this. After the Sabbath, at dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and Mary, they were the ones sat gazing at a tombstone, a big stone in front of a tomb. And they went to look at the tomb. And I'm gonna stop there. And what they saw, as you perfectly well know, transformed their lives. Yes, sometimes God does allow us to go through days where it appears God is silent. But my Bible tells me he isn't. My Bible tells me that every day, every minute, every second of my life, God is there. But he may want to teach me something through the silence. God give me the grace to hear that and keep going until the dawn of the first day of the week. Amen.